Okay, let's get into F, uh, FC Fearless. Let's talk about being fearless sons and daughters of God. Um, I, fear is an epidemic in our world. And so many times when people are talking about the hate, the hate is being, uh, it's being spurred on by the fear that people are underneath. There is a spirit of fear in our culture. And I'll tell you, God's word says in 2 Timothy 1.7 that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear but power, love, and a sound mind. And he's reminding us in that moment, first of all, if you're partnering with fear, he didn't give that to you. That's not what he wants you to operate under as a spirit of fear. But he's also acknowledging and letting us know that there is a spirit of fear. He wouldn't tell you he didn't give you one if there wasn't one to give you. So there is a spirit of fear out there. As a matter of fact, one of the best ways to be fearless when it comes to in the Lord is recognizing that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and the eternal God moved into your life when you accepted Jesus through the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. Jesus said, it's going to be better for you when I go to my Father because I'm going to send my spirit and he'll be with you and in you forever. And the spirit will lead you into all truth. Okay, so the spirit of truth moved in so that when the spirit of fear comes my direction, I have the truth of God in me to stand in opposition to what the enemy's trying to bring to me. Okay, now by way of refresh, I want to mention a couple of things that Pastor Beth shared last week. <clears throat> Excuse me, I was amening her message at uh, three o'clock in the morning, Dublin time. Um, it was absolutely powerful. And if I, did, if I preached that and then tried to review it, I would basically preach it again because it was that good. But what I'm going to do is just kind of mention three things that she highlighted on in case you weren't here last week so you can jot them down. Number one, natural fears are God-given for our protection, but there is a spirit of fear out for our destruction. Uh, have you ever met people afraid of heights? Have you ever noticed there are people that tend to have poor balance? If you, if, you, if you stumble over carpet, okay, have you ever met somebody that just trips over stuff that isn't there? It's a good, Angelina, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that, that you're a little cautious about being uh, somewhere on an edge on heights. That's a good thing. If you trip at ground level, maybe you shouldn't do the Grand Canyon visit. You know what I'm saying? So probably a good thing. However... If talking about going to Ireland and saying, hey, on tour day, we're going to go to the Cliffs of Moher. They're 800 feet. It's amazing. You start getting a panic attack. <gasps> I can't go up that high. There's no way I can. If you, that's a spirit of fear. There's one thing to have a little bit of caution. Like, I need to be careful here. I'm going to back away from the edge. This isn't safe for me. It's another thing to hear about going on a day out and seeing a huge cliff and not being able to breathe. That's when fear, so we've got to discern the difference between the two. And she talked about that last week. Second thing she brought up was this. Trusting in the Lord is key to not yielding to a spirit of fear. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, do you trust God or not? If the Lord promised it, he's going to come through. If he said it, he's going to deliver. Do you trust him or do you trust the voice that's speaking to you saying God's going to fail you? He's not going to come. He forgot about you. He doesn't care about you. He's going to take care of somebody else and skip over you. All of those are lies. The more that we trust the Lord, the less that, that we give space to the spirit of fear. And the other thing that she mentioned was this. Fear wants us to shrink back and miss out on living in God's best for each of us, okay? It, it wants us to shrink back. And I really, I didn't expect Pastor Beth to do this. 
but she shared a lot of her personal testimony. How many of you were here last week? A lot of her testimony about a season when she really fought panic attacks. And it was really difficult to watch her walk through that. But it's something that you can pray with someone and you can come alongside them, but you can't take the step for them. And it is interesting. I mean, I think one of the reasons that Beth has an affection toward Target is because the Lord even used Target to help her overcome panic attacks. Now, I don't know if you can use that with all your friends. Why are you going to Target? I'm just overcoming the spirit of fear, baby. Overcoming the spirit. I, I don't know if you can use that all the time. But what was going on in Beth's life was the enemy was trying to cripple her into the corner of the house. And she, and she knew if she allowed that, that it wouldn't stop there. And I think sometimes that we, we think that the enemy will get to a place where he's satisfied. He's never satisfied because he comes to do what? Still kill and destroy. He's not happy just taking your space. He's not happy just taking your life. He wants to destroy you and your, your legacy and everything God has for you. And I, I loved it. There were moments it was brutal for her. And she would go and she would just walk through the aisles and say, I am taking my space back. Now, lots of times she ended up on an encounter where there was clearance, but that's okay as long as she was taking her space back. So these are three real highlighted areas that she talked about last week um, that I'm just kind of using to, to lead into this week, okay? Um, have you seen some of the acronyms for fear? We've all probably heard false evidence appearing real. Has everybody heard that one? false evidence appearing real. And what we're going to focus on today is a moment in Israel's history, and it's not one of their shining moments, where false evidence appeared real, and rather than recognizing it and discerning it, they completely gave in to fear, and they missed out on what God had for them. I, I think that the beauty for us is because they completely missed it, we get to kind of see the full effects of how fear worked them over all the lies that were being communicated because the enemy doesn't have a different agenda today. He wants you to be paralyzed by the spirit of fear too. And so we can learn from their lesson and apply it to our lives so that we don't make space or make, fru- uh, make room for fear. So if false evidence appears, uh, appears real, one of the challenges, one of the other acronyms for, for fear is this, that you'll forget everything and run. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. God had done so much for them, but when the false evidence appeared real, they forgot his faithfulness, they forgot his character, they forgot his goodness, and they ran and they shrunk back. So let's go ahead and put the first verse up here for him, David. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 2a. says, the Lord says to Mo, because Mo and the Lord were incredibly close. We understand that. The Lord says to Mo, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Let me give you some background on this. Um, There's a lot of background. I'll try to make it as brief as possible. Moses was 80 years old, living in the desert, when the Lord speaks to him and says, go to Egypt and bring my people out of the land of slavery. Is everybody familiar with the story? So the Lord uses Moses and begins to send plagues upon Egypt. Now, one of the reasons that God did this is because the Pharaoh of Egypt actually believed he was a god. So the Lord was showing him, there's really no other god before me. You're no god, you're just a man. Not only was he showing the Pharaoh that he was uh, just a man, he was also showing the citizens of Egypt that he was just a man. Now, the last plague you all know is the plague of the firstborn. 
If there wasn't blood over your doorpost, then the firstborn of your family passed away. When that happened, Pharaoh said, I'm done. Get out of here. Take your people and go. I never want to see you again. And the Lord spoke to the Israelites. Remember what he told them to do? He told all the ladies in the house, he said, hey, go to each Egyptian house. Ask them for some gold, some silver, some fabric. Just receive everything that they have for you. Pastor Noel actually preached on this one time while he was here. Go and receive. Remember, it said that's where uh, the tambourine came from because the Egyptian ladies would use that to, to shush them and to make them be quiet. Why else would you grab tambourines and take them with you when you're headed into the wilderness? Because you take what used to silence you, and now you use it to celebrate God's victory in your life. So they took all this stuff, and they're walking out, and they're heading out toward the Red Sea. They don't know it yet, but that's where they're going. Now, in the meantime, Pharaoh hardens his heart. He's like, what am I doing? I'm a god. I need to kill these people. So he gathers the army, and he starts pursuing the Israelites. Now, the Israelites that have just been let out of the land of slavery, that have just received the fabric and the gold and the silver and all this stuff, they look in their rearview mirror, and they see that they are being pursued by the Egyptians. Moses speaks up, and he says, hey, stand here. God will deliver you. And the Lord says to Moses, hey, I didn't tell you to stand. Keep walking. And Mo's like, <laughs> there's a lot of water in front of us, and we've never got to swim much in 400 years of slavery. And the Lord says, watch what I'm going to do for you. And you know the story. Wind began to blow. He parts the water on both sides. They walk through on dry ground. The Egyptians are so hard-hearted, they don't go, active God. They're like, look, it's a shortcut. <laughs> never knew that was here. And they pursue them into this dry land between walls of water. They get to the other side, Moses lifts up the staff, the water flows over them, they drown, and they wrote a song. Remember it? The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. It was in the 80s. Remember that song? Okay, now, for those of you that are more uh, theologically sound than I am, and I realize there's some biblical scholars here, some theologists, there, there are actually some biblical scholars that believe that they didn't cross the Red Sea, but they crossed the Sea of Reeds. And it was only about six inches deep, so a good strong wind could have dried it out and they could have walked through on dry ground. You all know me. I'm very, very biblically scholarly. It's, it's the way I choose to believe because I love to envision the Egyptians drowning in six inches of water. I mean, does anybody else find that funny? You're on your horse. Six inches comes over. The horse goes down. It's on the side. You're, you're gone, okay? The lifeguard's over on the side trying to keep his feet dry. I can't go in there. That is six inches deep. I'm not qualified for this, right? So any way you want to look at this, man, God did an absolute miracle for his people. They get to the other side. They're like, God, you're so good, but we're hungry, so you're so bad. It's amazing how quickly they're like, good God, bad God. Good God, bad God. You ever see it on Facebook? People are like, I found my keys. God is so good. His goodness has to do with you finding your freaking keys? You kidding me? I lost my keys. God is so bad. Why is he bad when we can't find something and he's good when we do find something? I mean, it's crazy. But they did. God brought us through. Thank you, Lord. You're so good. We're hungry. Did you bring us out here to starve to death? Moses is like, I'm, God's going to take care of you. What did he provide? You remember? Manna, which in the Hebrew means what? What is it? They had no idea what it was, but they ate it like a toddler, right? I don't know what that is, but... Wow, that's fantastic. It's where Manicotta came from. Um, Manicotta, right? Most of you know that. So, I mean, it's just an absolute miracle of God. So he provides Manicotti. They come to a place where there's water and it's bitter, and they call it bitter water, Mara in the original Hebrew. 
And he says, water's bitter. Moses, did you bring us here to have this horrible water? Moses is like, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's like, cut that branch, throw it in the water, it'll be fine. Cuts the branch, throws it in, it becomes sweet to their taste. You've got a group of people that have been slaves for 400 years. The confidence level wasn't quite there. And the Lord says, I want them to construct a tent of meeting where my glory is going to come. And I've anointed a couple of guys to do it. It's going to be fine. And they pull all that fabric and the gold and the silver and everything that they looted from the Egyptians. And they make this beautiful, beautiful traveling tabernacle. And Moses would step into it and the presence of God would descend. And the people would stand outside their tent and they would look as the glory of the Lord shined, shone, right? Moses would come out and his face would be radiating with the presence of God. And at night it's really cold in the desert. So you know what God would do? His presence would lift over them and it was a fire at night to keep them warm. And in the day when it was so hot and the sun was scorching, Scripture says his presence was a cloud covering. Man, a cloud in the day in the desert. Wouldn't that be great? A fire at night. A tabernacle filled with his presence, water that became sweet, a red sea that you cross miraculously, your enemy's been destroyed, manna provided every day. If that's not enough, God says, send some people to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Do, do you think that God has a pretty good trust, uh, track record at this point? I mean, you're living daily miraculously because of God. You would think that would be enough. Now, if you look up the word Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew word explore, Sometimes it's translated as search. Sometimes it's discover. So literally, the Lord's saying, hey, pick some leaders, one from each of the 12 tribes, get 12 bros, send them to, to, to check this place out. Search it out. Discover it. Just check it out. Explore it. Have a great time. Because you know why? I'm giving it to you. I want you, so I want you to see everything that is there for you. Just, just get all the details of it and enjoy it. Not one time is God saying to them, hey, I want you to go and analyze whether you can take the land or not. This was never about what they could do. It was always about what God was doing. God's like, I'm giving this to you. As a matter of fact, the word giving in Hebrew, and some of you know this, it's the word Nathan. Are there any Nathans here? Anybody named Nathan in the house? I'm looking, anybody, raise your hand. Don't be, don't be tempted. Yes, there is one Nathan, and we have to watch out for him. Because the name Nathan means a gift or God's gift. He's in the FC Basics class right now. He walked in the other day. I'm like, hey, it's good to see you. He's like, well, it's Nathan. I'm God's gift to this class. I'm like, whoa, settle down. Settle down there, fella. And I noticed his wife's not here with him today. If you walk with that attitude all the time, you're going to have some problems, Okay. So, uh, by the way, don't name your children Nathan. It can cause problems in your future. So the Lord said, I'm going to Nathan this to you. As a matter of fact, um, the word giving in the Hebrew, not that we just want to make this a statistical study, but it's used in the Old Testament a couple thousand times. Uh, about 1,200 of them translated literally as giving. Uh, there are sometimes, uh, maybe 100 or so, that it's translated as granting. Like, you know, the king granted the request. He Nathaned the request. Sometimes if a city was oppressed and they were set free, the word was they were Nathaned, they were delivered. So the Lord's saying to them, send some people to search all of this gift that I am granting to you, that I'm giving to you, that I'm delivering to you. How many of you know that there were some giants in that land and they needed to know he, he was, they weren't delivering it for themselves. He was going to deliver it to them. So uh, with that thought, um, here's a think about it. The very God who is tangibly with his people 
and daily doing the miraculous for them, was now inviting them to search out and discover the gift that he was delivering to them. This should be a moment of incredible excitement. Um, how many love getting a gift? Especially if you don't have to pay the taxes on it. I mean, isn't that nice? Uh, I, anybody turn 16 around here? Has that ever happened? And a few of us? Okay. Uh, anybody, did you turn 16 and you didn't get the big gift, but you had a friend that turned 16 and they got a car and, and you got bitter? You know what I'm talking about? They got the car and you got bitter. I, I remember in high school, I went to Rockbridge High School in Columbia, and uh, there was a really nice um, uh, affluent side of our community. And I remember one girl, when she turned 16, she pulled up in her brand new Porsche 911, brand new. And she wanted everybody to be happy for her. And just a little demon began to grow in me. I, I don't know why. I don't know if you're that way. I mean, it really had nothing to do with me, but it, it had everything to do with me. You know what I'm talking about? I, it really pulls up that stuff. And because when I turned 16, I got like $50 and go get them, son. This will help your account save for a car. Did anybody else get that one? All right. Here's your 50 bucks. Buy a car. Make sure the wheels are good. Everything will be fine. So, but there's something fun, and I, I don't know why I'm referring to cars today, but Beth and I have been married for 175 years, but two times we bought a new car in our life. Not new to me. I mean, we've all seen, hey, you got a new to me car, but, and, which is old to somebody else, which is a struggle, right? You know what I'm talking about? But we've had, we've had a couple of times we've bought a new car, and I'm one of those guys that I love seeing the buttons and the dials, and I don't want somebody to tell me about it. I don't want manual there. I throw manual out the door so that I can just, I don't want to, who reads a manual? Now, some of you do. Some of you, you've read the manual and you know every button before you get there. And when you walk in, you're teaching the salesperson stuff about the car. They're like, well, how'd you know? And they're like, you're like, well, on page 75-A31.2, it says this, all right? And that's great that God made you that way because you're a little crazy and we need you in the kingdom. Some of us, we don't look at the manual. We're just like, what does that do? It's amazing. You're driving home, new car, there's buttons, and you're like, that's amazing. And Beth's like, Brett, watch the road. I'm like, how can I watch the road? There's so many new buttons, right? Anybody else kind of dory that way, right? I'm swimming, but I'm poking buttons while I'm doing it, right? Okay. God wants you the way he made you to search out what he's giving to you. He wants you to. And some of them, they're making a map of the land, and they're discovering, and they're filling in all the quests. Some are just like, oh, around the corner, wow, amazing, amazing. Um, and they're supposed to check it out. They're supposed to. God wants you to discover the gifts. He wants you to discover the gifts of the Spirit. He wants you to discover the gifts that he's placed within your life. He wanted them to discover this gift. But you know what the problem was? It quickly became a, a reconnaissance mission, which is never what God intended. Look in Numbers chapter 13, verses 17 to 20. It says, Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev onto, into the hill country. See what the land is like. Whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile soil or is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Is it like Kansas or is it like southern Missouri? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for ripe grapes. Moses giving them a hint. Hey, bring some grapes home, okay? This was an observational journey to gather information. Are you ready for this? About the gift God was providing. This wasn't supposed to be a moment of, wow, that city's huge. We can't take it. Because God told them he was giving them cities that they didn't build. 
If he's giving you a city that you didn't build, then obviously the people that built it must be living there. And you can't let who's living there now keep you from what God has for you in your future. They were supposed to look at the fortified cities as not, oh my goodness, we can't get there. They were supposed to look at them as, thank you, God, for what we're going to live in. But they got off target. It happens, doesn't it? So with that said, look in Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 to 27. They come back. They've been traveling for 40 days. You know the story. They've checked out everything. They come back. It says they come back to Moses and Aaron. Okay. Aaron in the original. Most of us know that. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Now I skipped the verse. They said the cluster of grapes was so stinking big that they put it over a pole and two guys carried the pole. Now that's some serious grape. Talk about your grapes of wrath. Okay, so they reported to them the whole, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. Look at this grape. It's massive. Now, God had promised them he was giving them a gift that flowed with milk and honey, which always makes you wonder, was honey just dripping everywhere? Every step you take, 2% milk coming up from the soil? What's going on here? Okay, this really represents the favor of God. It represents the favor of God. It represents provision. And he, he's so good that he even gives you a little honey because how many know that dessert is biblical? Okay? So he even gives you a little dessert. He's, just, he's good that way. So they come back, and I love that the beginning of the report is, you know what? It's what God said it was. It's a great land. Look at the fruit. It flows with milk and honey. It would have been wonderful if they would have stopped there. But how many know there's always a big butt in the room? What do you mean, PB? Well, look at the next verse. Numbers chapter 13, verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak, and I've taught on him before, you know and I put the brackets in. That's not in your Bible. He was a Nephilim. He was a descendant of the Nephilim. Please don't curse me for adding to the Bible. When you put it in a bracket, it's not an official ad. All right, so we'll be okay. The descendants of Anak, the Nephilim are there. But the people are powerful. The cities are fortified. Do you think that God didn't know that? When God promised them the land, promised them the cities, he knew they were, was God up in heaven going, oh my gosh, I have not paid attention to that. I didn't recognize that, this, that the people were powerful. We will, we will make a mistake every time if we look at the size of our opponent compared to ourself rather than looking at the size of our opponent compared to the eternal one that lives within us and that made the promise. They gave in to fear. This happens all the time. It happens in your home. It happens in the church. It happens in parachurch ministries. It happens in the kingdom all the time. God gives a vision. He says, this is what I want you to do. And somebody influenced by the spirit of fear will step up and say, but it's amazing how quickly we'll give authority to the but rather than to the head. It's amazing. When God's given a word, when God's given a promise, I, I, I don't know about you, but I just reminded myself that 
He brought them out of Egypt. He gave them gold and silver and fabric. He brought them through the Red Sea. He gave them manna every day. He turned bitter water sweet. He was fire by night, cloud by day, and the glory of the Lord dwelt among his people. That kind of God can take care of his promises. That kind of God is to be trusted, not to be laid to the side. And ultimately, the idea of the spirit of fear is to get you to do what it wants you to do rather than what God wants you to do. Because when you do what God wants you to do, you have a covering of protection. But when you do what the spirit of fear wants you to do, you're exposed for your annihilation. It's really up to you what you receive. Look at Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 to 32. It says, Caleb silenced the people. Now, if you look back and read Numbers 11 and, and do it anytime you want, God had provided quail every day to, to, to provide for the people. They'd grown a little weary of manna, so he brought in quail for a while. And uh, literally it says, Moses said, Lord, how are you going to do that? That's 600,000 men. Now, you might recall that uh, to be a man in that culture, you had to be at least 20 years of age. So every 20-year-old male and above totaled 600,000. That doesn't include all those below 20, and it doesn't include the children. It doesn't include any of the ladies at all. Very easily, this is a group of 1.2 million people, probably up to 2 million. I mean, this is, this is a massive amount of people, and Caleb steps up as the spirit of fear is beginning to travel through the community. This man of God steps up. He silences the people. And he says, we should go up and take possession of the land. We can certainly do it. And then another but steps up. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're stronger than we are. Yeah, we've already heard that. They are stronger than we are, but they're not stronger than who he is. They might be bigger than me, but they're not bigger than him. They're temporary. He's eternal. They don't have all the wisdom. He does. There is no giant in front of you that can conquer you when you're walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He speaks up. Now notice what they start to do. The very people that had just said, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Look at its fruit. This place is amazing. Look, their, their story changes. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about what? The land. Now we're not talking about the people. We're talking about the land. They said, quote, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Now the very gift of God that he is giving to them, they are now cursing the very gift that was going to be their provision as being a place where they would be annihilated. Here's a thought I'm going to share with you, and then I'm going to kind of give you some things to wrap up with for today. Um, the think about it would be this. We open, the uh, we open the door to fear when an observation for information becomes an evaluation of natural expectation. Now, let me explain that. I, I didn't just like it because it rhymed. But God never told them, choose 12 explorers. I need some dedicated leaders, men with good strategy. I need men that have been in the battle before. They know what an enemy looks like, and they know how to strategize against them. Get 12 strategic military assessors. And I want them to go throughout the land and analyze the weak point of every city and be ready to be used to bring back a strategy to take the land. He never said that. He said, go and observe. Just go look. Look at the fruit and say, thank you, Father. 
Look at the fertile soil and say, that's going to be mine. Look at the city and say, you know what? My family's going to live here. Go and observe for informational purposes. But somewhere along the line, what God was doing became a lie that they thought they were supposed to do. And when they started believing that lie, they opened the door to the spirit of fear. And now it's no longer, look what God's doing. It's we can't, we can't, we're destroyed. It became an evaluation of natural expectation. Listen, I'm a stinky dad without God's help. I'm not a good pastor without God's help. There's a lot of things that I'm not good at without the help of God. Anybody else in your life? I mean, if this was about the natural, why did we need the king of kings? It's about the supernatural. It's about he, what he does and, we, and how we partner with it. So let me give you a few thoughts regarding fear. Now, I recognize this isn't going to be one of the messages you're going to stand up and go, wow, that's amazing. But if the strategy is the same then as it, or now as it was then, these are some things that we can learn to protect ourselves from a spirit of fear. So here we go. Number one, a few thoughts regarding fear. Um, fear does not speak the truth. We've already said false evidence appearing real. Let me just tell you this right now. A spirit of fear lies every time. Every time. Now, the best lies is when it takes a portion of the truth and twists it. God's word says that Satan himself is an angel of light masquerading. So you have to be discerning. You have to be listening to the Holy Spirit in you. But the, the, the spirit of fear is going to lie to you every time. You can't take this land. Well, there's truth in that lie, isn't there? Right, I can't take the land, but that's okay. God's giving it to me. So you better believe I'm taking it. How many want to take what God's giving? So yeah, I can take it because it's a gift from him and you're not going to be able to hold it back. Number two, fear spreads quickly through communities who haven't learned to trust God. They came through the Red Sea, but are you ready for this? They didn't trust God. They drank fresh water, but they didn't trust God. They had the fire of his presence, but they didn't trust God. Miracles don't produce trust. Relationship produces trust. And you're in a church where we love the signs and the wonders of the Lord. You know that. But the signs and the wonders do not produce trust. That comes from hearing the voice of your father. Having your eyes open to the dreams that he's showing you, the visions that he's giving you, walking in relationship. Listen, I never questioned Beth Riley's faithfulness to me. Ever. Ever. Too many years of relationship. She doesn't question my faithfulness to her. Ever. Because she checks out my phone every day. Okay? See, see the trust? Full trust, a decent amount of trust. With some accountability. Healthy trust, healthy trust, okay? It's out of relationship. Why, why would I throw 752 years of relationship away for a moment of failure? relationship you know why I know that we can pray for the sick it's not just because we've seen them healed but I actually have a relationship with the healer and I you know why I can say confidently if you honor God with tithe he'll always meet every need because I know the provider Jehovah Jireh he never fails I can say it with confidence relationships where trust comes from next 
fear exerts influence over us. That seems like a no-brainer, so let me say this. Allowing fear into our hearts will cause fearful confessions from our lips. And I do want to mention that for a second. How many know that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth and the tongue has the power of life? And, okay, so think about the consequences of that. If I yield to fear and let fear feel, fill my heart, out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth will speak. It will. There's a gentleman that I, I knew for you. How many of you have ever not wanted to say something and you said it? Because you're like, I can't say that. I can't say that. And it was on your mind. Don't say that. Don't say that. And next thing you know, I said that. There's a gentleman I knew for years. He's a pastor. He got voted out. But you'll see why. This couple was engaged to be married and they got a little anxious and got things out of, out of step. I don't know if you've ever heard of stories like that in our culture of complete purity. But this one couple had got things a little out of step and she was, she was pregnant before they were married. And they were already, already engaged and they came to the pastor and they said, Pastor, this is what's happened. We want to move the wedding up a couple of months. We're not trying to hide anything. We just want to have the wedding before we have the conversations. And everybody's going to know, but we want to have, and he's like, no, let's do that. We'll protect that, and people figure it out later, no worries. But he was so worried he was going to mess up that the dad walked her down the aisle, and he said, and I quote, who gives this woman with child to be married to this man? It's a true story. I got there to preach a revival that night. The wedding was on a Saturday. Half the church left from that, already gone. How many of you have ever not wanted to say something? You're like, oh, no. Right? You ever been so upset with your wife and you finally want to get that dig in? And the only thing digging is your grave after you've said it? <laughs> because then she realizes you've held that one for 27 months, right? Right? Yeah, right? Have you, anybody else dug a grave? Okay. Think about it. Fear in your heart will come out of your mouth. And here's the problem. Fear doesn't change your authority. So when you speak with fear, now you're speaking with authority and releasing fear and the consequences of it over your own life. Oh, you're, you're just releasing it. Have you ever had somebody that something good happened, they said, well, and then they cursed it. Well, something bad's going to happen. And then two weeks later, something bad happened. And they said, see, told you. I would say they created the environment. I would say that their prophetic word actually brought it into existence. If we really start understanding prophecy, it's not just understanding the future, it's creating it. Okay? All right? So let's uh, look, look in Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll, we'll wrap up here in just a minute or two. Do you guys still have practice today, early? You, yeah? Okay, all right. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. We'll be done by 1. Okay. But we've, we've got to read this verse. This is a great verse. It says, that night all, let's be charismatic, okay? That night all, everybody say all. all. Thank you. All right, that's fine. All the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites, everybody say all, all. grumbled against Moses and Aaron, Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, 
or in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us to the land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Wah, wah, wah. Can you imagine that noise? Two million all of the community weeping aloud. It's not fair! We've got to get this. If we don't get this, we're not going to move forward. They were being given a gift. And they have so partnered with fear that now they think the gift is going to kill them. Can you even imagine? Think about Ashton Grimshaw up here on the front row. Her mom and dad have arranged today, I don't know if you knew this, they have purchased her, uh, they, don't cry, I, this is all a joke, so I, please, I don't want to set up a soul wound, Lord, release her from the soul wound, this is for illustrative purposes, okay, all right, so they have arranged a brand new Porsche 911, it's going to be at the front door for you as soon as service is over today, it's a gift. They're giving it, and we all get to see the celebration of the gift that Ashton has received. Now, wouldn't that be pretty cool? Ashton, you've got a new car, and Ashton's like, no! <laughs> no! My God! I'm going to have an accident on the way home! I don't have insurance coverage! I can't take that car. I know it's stupid. But it is exactly what they did. Here's a gift. No wonder after this. You know what God said to Moses? It was amazing. He said, I'm going to kill him. I mean, I just love that. How many of you love your children enough that you've said, I'm going to kill him? Okay, we do have video camera. Okay, all right. It's just, Moses is like, you can't do that. And he's like, why, why can't I do that? I am, I am. Right? I mean, he, do whatever. he's like, God, please don't, please don't. You, you brought him out. Don't let people say you only brought him out because you wanted to kill him where there was more room. Please don't do it, God. Please, let's keep your reputation alive. And the Lord said, but you know what? Everything they've spoken I will allow to happen. They'll die in the desert. Their wives will die in the desert. The one thing I'm going to protect, though, is their children because it needs to carry forward into future generations. So the children that they said were plunder will actually take the land. I'll raise up a leader. He already had him, Joshua and Caleb. They had to wait 40 years for the older generation to die off those last couple weeks had to be hard. Can you imagine? I'm Joshua. I am so ready to get the stink out of this wilderness. And Gordy's just hanging in there. I'm like, man, Gordy. I'm like, Diane, I, I hope you don't mind, but could we speed things on? She's like, you know what? I've been done with him for a while anyway, bruh. So... Wouldn't that be awful? You're just kind of looking around, counting down the days, okay? Um, let me try to bring the Lord back into this for just a second. 
I'm going to read these statements quickly, and if you want to just take a picture with your phone, um, and I'm just having a moment of my grandpa being in service, hearing a pastor say, take a picture with your phone, he'd be like, what on earth are you talking about? But um, let me just read these statements to you. I'll go, I'll go through them kind of quickly. Number one, in fear, we will remember the times when we were in bondage as better than our current freedom. Now remember, I'm just summarizing what they've said. Remember what they said? We want to go back to Egypt. Which, by the way, at that time, Egypt wasn't even Egypt anymore because it had been pretty well destroyed. Uh, Number two, we will confess death. People do it all the time. It'll never work. It'll never happen. I just can't believe death comes out in a moment of fear. Number three, we will assume that we lose what we have. See, fear is never satisfied. So now, no longer was it you just can't take what he has for you. It's also, you're going to lose what you already have. No way. If God's got new things for you, it's not at the cost of what's already in your possession. That's not the God that we serve. Number four, we will try to select a leader rather than receive the one that God selected. Moses, God showed himself to Moses face to face. The guy glowed with the presence of God, and they're like, we need a new leader. The spirit of moron is heavy, and it is promoted by the spirit of fear. Uh, I guess the second point to that would be this. We'll want a leader to say what we want to hear rather than what God wants us to hear. They were looking for a leader to be so courageous to say, God won't do it. You're right. We're dead. Let's go back to slavery. That's not a leader. I don't want that kind of leader in my life. You don't want that kind of leader at Faith Chapel. We need to be courageous in the Lord. Number whatever, we will harden our heart toward God's word. And lastly, we'll discount what God has done and will do for us. It already discounted it. So let's put the two think about it's up here and then I'll pray for you. Um, Fear produces doubt. Doubt produces disbelief. And disbelief produces destruction. God's word never calls doubt sinful. Did you notice that? It never says that doubt is sinful. Because doubt is the process of learning to walk by faith. Have you ever been praying for somebody's healing and you believe but you kind of wonder? That's, that's normal. We all, everybody labels Thomas the doubt. Thomas the doubter. They were all doubting. They were all hiding in a room. Okay? Thomas just didn't get to be at the first appearance when he came back. But Thomas gets labeled. They were all that way. They're all, oh, we're dead and we're next. It's not going to work. I mean, there was a lot of doubt. And he walks in. He goes, hey, put your fingers right here in my hands. Put your hand in my side. I believe. Blessed are those that believe without seeing, bud. We, you know, quit picking on yourself about times of doubt. You have believed without seeing. God calls that blessed. But if you're not careful, doubting will become a root and disbelief will come. Now, disbelief, that's sinful. That is the opposite of faith. That's going the And disbelief always leads to destruction. You, if you don't quit, you win. When do you pr- how long do you pray till you get your answer? How long do you pray till you get your miracle? You don't stop, and if you don't stop, you win. And the last thing about it is this. Fear is contagious. It requires each individual to be on guard by being strong and courageous. 
You might recall 40 years later, after Gordy passed away, I'm just kidding, Gordy, you're very much alive. 40 years later, Joshua and Caleb are leading the people into the promised land, but the people knew that the spirit of fear was going to try to do the same thing again. Because if it worked on your grandparents and your parents, he'll use it against your children. And so God spoke and said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I'm going to be with you wherever you go. A couple of verses later, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. I'll be with you wherever you go. And Joshua's still feeling a little bit anxious. I mean, it's one thing to watch Moses lead. Now he's got to lead. He's still fighting that a little bit. And all the people, all the next generation that weren't taken as plunder, but now they're ready to plunder the land, they start calling out to Joshua, hey, God commanded you, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. God will be with you wherever you go, and we've got your back. Let's go. Come on, come on, don't let fear hold you back. Step on its face, kick in the gates of hell, and watch God do everything he promised, amen. Amen, let's stand together, amen. I've got another page, but we would be here till one, so uh, we'll, we'll not do that today. How many of you would admit there are times you don't struggle with fear? There are times that you fully embrace it. Okay? Don't be afraid to raise your hand. Pun intended. Okay? Because if you're willing to say, yeah, there are times I embrace fear and lift your hand, that's something else fear doesn't want you to do in a group. So even just lifting your hands, another victory. So those of you that there are times you embrace fear, let's just lift our hands together. And my hand is not up as an example. My hand is up because there are times I, I partner with fear. And I don't want to do that. So God, we lift our hands to you. And we thank you that we're your sons and daughters. And we thank you that we can do everything that you said that we can do in your name. We thank you that greater is the spirit that is in us than the spirit that is in the world. We thank you that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And God, we just lift our hands to you to say there are times, we confess, there are times we've embraced fear. But in Jesus' name, not today. In Jesus' name, not moving forward into our future. And, and let's say this together. Heavenly Father, you haven't given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. I'll receive everything you have for me, and I'll be everything you've called me to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.